the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show as we head into the second hour. As promised, uh, delight to welcome back to the show uh, Professor Owen Anderson. Uh, Dr. Anderson is a professor in the School of Humanities at um, ASU and also has a um, has a substack uh, uh, column, which is uh, com. D-R-O-N-Anderson. Uh, no periods in there, dronanderson.substack.com. And uh, I took a special note yesterday or last evening, um, I think it was, when he wrote this on Twix, Twitter X. I'm going to have what I believe to be my most important Substack post tomorrow, meaning today. It is a call to the pastors of the West Valley to unite against radical philosophies used to attack Christianity. Please share it wisely. Pastors contact me for resources. Christianity and Christian students and faculty should not be treated this way. Because Dr. Owen Anderson is smart, I wanted to have him on. Because he is a friend, I wanted to have him on. Because this is powerful, I wanted to have him on. And also, I wanted to have him on because um, a lot of Christians have um, been standing up very strongly and in a heartfelt manner that Words fail to describe for the Jewish people, and I would like to do my small part wherever and humbly I can to return the favor. Dr. Owen Anderson, welcome back to the show. Well, Seth, thank you so much for having me on to talk about this this post I put up today. You betcha. Pastors of the West Valley, a call to action. Why did you write this, and what did you write? Well, I realize I've been, I've been aiming my Substack posts at parents, students, donors, and legislators— to alert them to what's going on, to some of the radical philosophies being normalized at ASU. And it occurred to me, there's another group I need to also write to, and that's the pastors of ASU West. And I I said the ASU West Valley because ASU West recently changed our name from ASU West to ASU West Valley. Okay. And so I I think the pastors, and I'm using that term very broadly, uh, across denominations, I, I think they would like to know what is happening at ASU West so they can be informed about whether or not they can, in good conscience, recommend that someone in their church goes to ASU West. Thank you. There has been an ongoing assault, right? There's been an ongoing insult and assault. Well, it, it is staggering, and, and and again, that's why I started my substack, is simply to document uh, what's going on, because when I tell parents this, I often get the question, should I send my student to ASU? and I tell them about some of these things, there's almost an element of disbelief. Like, no, it, it can't be that bad. I mean, people kind of know that things get crazy at the university, but is it really that bad? And so I've just been documenting the kinds of employee training that is offered, the content, what is what is uh, taught on the name of decolonizing, and the way that's been especially important the last three weeks when secular professors are attacking settlers, rhetorically attacking settlers, but has resulted in actually having what they call settlers in Israel attacked. Yeah. 
And so this kind of this kind of language, this kind of philosophy, we need to know what's going on. And and I think um, Christian pastors, when they hear about this, they will say, "Well, we, we've got other options." Then, unless ASU cleans up its act on these things, we we've got other options. Talk to me about what you think most pastors are telling their congregants and their parishioners, if that's the if if that's the artful way of putting it. Most uh, tell tell what do you think they counsel them when it comes to sending their children to college? Well, I would I would guess that they're aware, especially of uh, moral challenges, and so they would caution them about you know you're going to have a lot of moral challenges, and that's probably true for anybody who becomes a young adult once you're outside your parents' household. You're your own person, and you get to make your own choices now. But I'm not, sh- I'm not as sure, I'm not as confident that they know that some of the details of these philosophies that are taught, and that's where I think I can be helpful. And I'm, I'm more than willing to come to churches and give presentations on this if, if any pastors listening would like to contact me, because I, I think the details are very important. These philosophies don't come out and simply say, we hate Christians, but they do come out and teach history as if it's one long abuse by Christians. Yeah. And so it's, it's, it's subtle, and, the, and people need to know what's going on, and I've got kind of an inside view of yeah. what's going on. Yeah, I want to hear more about some of the kinds of stuff you've encountered, but I just want to relate an interesting dialogue I heard between your friend, our friend, Dennis Prager, in an interview he did last week with, um, you know, the playwright David Mamet, and they were talking about uh, what David Mamet tells people about going to college uh, nowadays, college and universities. He says don't. And he says, you know, just don't. Um, these are yep. th- these are propaganda factories. Um, and Dennis said to him, he said, well, when you tell parents that, what kind of feedback do you get? He said, some people understand it, and some say they understand it, but. Yep. And Dennis Prager says, what's the but? We all know what the but is. You know, they want to meet interesting people. They want to give them a... Uh, a wide experience. Uh, It's what, you know, there's some nostalgia. And Dennis says, and what do you say to that? And David Mamet didn't skip a beat. And he says, I tell them, yeah, and your daughter can work at a bordello too. She'll meet interesting men. Yeah. Well, I think you might've seen this, but two weeks ago, Bill Maher, who is, everyone knows, far left. He's got a real well, a very well-known show on HBO and he lets his political opinions be known. He said, do not send your children to Ivy League yeah, schools. I saw They'll that. Make you stupid. I saw that. And, and, I saw but that. what's amazing is, remember, the Barrett Honors College professor said, don't bring Dennis Prager and Charlie right. Kurt to our campus because they're against university education. Right. Well, I guess Bill Maher is, too. Right. Yes. Bill Maher would probably be the first to tell you that he might be one of the first people most unwelcome on a college campus these days for some of the positions yep. he's taken, by the way. Um, in yeah. fact, it's true of a lot of comedians, uh, Dr. Anderson. A lot of comedians have said, I think Seinfeld is one of them, and he's, you know, a clean comedian. I think he has said that um, that it's just not worth it to work colleges anymore. It's too much of a headache. You know, the pushback for any little thing they say that can be deemed offensive, which is the essence of comedy, after all, is just not yeah. like the, the, the that juice is not worth the squeeze for them. Well, I think and, you, and so you, so I'm going to guess. Actually, sorry for this additional yeah, thought, doctor. Yeah. I'm going to guess that amongst other problems here, and maybe this is the least of them, but maybe not. I'm going to guess the children go to college also end up humorless. Anyway, I wonder what. Well, you yeah, think they're about not able. That. Well, yeah. you, you saw that that U of A when Charlie Kirk was down there a couple of days ago. U of A professors offered trauma counseling to students who might have been 
so devastated by having someone on campus who was willing. He had a uh, ask me anything or change my yeah, mind booth. Right. right. Uh, where he simply sat calmly and answered questions, and that could be so traumatic that you might need trauma counseling. So if I understand this right, students can whip themselves up in a lather, a cherivery, if you will, of screaming and marching on behalf of an entity that um, chops off little babies' heads in front of their mothers, but they need sanctuary from uh, the words that come out of Charlie Kirk's mouth. Yeah, that's the kind of contradiction that we see going on. But at the same time, I think in one way we hear about those things in the news okay. and they are big problems. But the thing I'm bringing to people's attention is that in your day-to-day classroom, in the kind of classroom that teaches decolonizing, anti-racism, um, infinite genders, that's the philosophies that I think pastors will be interested to know about. They need to know about. And it might be that if the pastors of the West Valley say, we're not going to recommend this anymore. In fact, we're going to teach that those philosophies are contrary to Christianity. Maybe then ASU will say, okay, maybe we should look into this. Maybe this is not what we hired professors to teach. Let me ask you this question, and I mean it not to be rude. It may come off as such, and I really don't mean it to be. Do you think pastors are unaware of this sort of thing? Maybe you and I are so aware of it, we think everyone is, but they're not. But it seems to me they would be aware of some of this going on. Yeah, I'm, I'm maybe sure not they are. the depth. I mean, maybe not the depth and yeah. width. Yeah, well, I think that's the that's the piece I'm adding is because you're right. I don't think it would be a surprise to any pastor that it turns out that a secular university in our day and ages is hostile and is a, and can be an anti faith environment. But I think some of the details I'm adding on my Substack are unknown to them, and just how these philosophies uh, cloak themselves. So I've, I've talked with you before about uh, decolonizing yep. philosophy in my school, where they tried to say, hey, let's decolonize our uh, syllabi and, and yep. decolonize our coursework. And so that maybe you might say, hey, I guess that's great, right? Because who wants to be colonized? Colonization is no good. But that's just a code word for a Marxist philosophy that, that's been around for a few decades that is specifically anti-Christian. Let me uh, take a break. You can stay. Can you stay another segment, Doctor? Sure. Oh, yeah. Great. Uh, Professor Owen Anderson is our guest. Dr. Owen Anderson for Dr. Owen Anderson on Substack. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Professor Owen Anderson is our guest. He is a professor at uh, ASU, among other things, author of uh, several important Books. He also has a uh, Substack a column, uh, substack.com Anderson for Dr. Owen Anderson. And we're talking about his piece, which is a, a call to actions, uh, excuse me, a call to action to pastors of the West Valley. Um, doctor, uh, I, I wonder if some of this isn't, um, I wonder if some of this in the university amongst many of your colleagues isn't um, based in a very degraded perspective on 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 things of things of things of God, things of the church. Um, I was I was fascinated by a column today in the Washington Post, an op-ed column in the Washington Post today, uh, criticizing critical of the new Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, and uh, she says this is a Christian nationalists. 
an, a Christian nationalist who believes the United States is a Christian nation. And then she went to exhibit this with this quote from his speech last week. She highlights that he said, quote, I believe that Scripture, the Bible, is very clear, that God is the one that raises up those in authority, and I believe that God has ordained and allowed each one of us to be brought here for this specific moment, close quote. This columnist at the Washington Post is using this as an example that Mike Johnson is an exclusionist and a, um, uh, and a bigot. That's language, I have to tell you, Doctor, you'd probably agree with this. You've written a lot on the First Amendment. Um, that's language that could have been uttered by any president of the United States throughout our history, Republican or Democrat. Just that very language, I believe that scriptural is very, Scripture is very clear that God is the one that raises up those in authority. Um, this yep. is the antagonism uh, from the Washington Post. That must run deep and wide through the professoriate, too. It's such a, such a hair-trigger reaction to any use of the word God. Well, I think so, and I think that's precisely what I'm wanting to alert pastors to is how bad has gotten. So that if you speak about about God, and I'm, I'm using this, you know, again broadly speaking here, not not any specific denomination, you're looked down on and vilified because anything of God, whether it's morality or doctrine or the history of the church, is taught as an oppressive, uh, bigoted system. And so he, I, I saw that same thing that you're just reading about, and he has to respond to this question, are you a white nationalist? Because he believes in—he in, said, I believe in the Judeo-Christian uh, God. And I know other politicians who, who, who claim to believe in the Scriptures get the same question. And I think it's a kind of strategy. I think, I think the strategy is something like this for, for professors. They know that most Christians won't say anything. Most Christians will just go to college, get through their papers, they won't speak up in class because they don't want to get a bad grade, and move on. But for that one or two Christian who does speak up, or a parent who says something, all they have to do is say, you're a white nationalist bigot, mm-hmm. and that'll immediately shut down the Christian, mm-hmm. because no one wants to be called that. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's a strategy to keep Christians from objecting, and I think that's why the pastors of the West Valley need to, to rise up and say, we're not going to put up with that anymore. Um, what is the status at places like ASU of organizations that have efforted evangelism on college campuses. I can think of several, um, and I just don't know how strong they are anymore. They were big in the 70s and 80s. Uh, They might have even been big in the 90s and aughts, early aughts. But are they still as strong? I can think of three or four off the top of my head. You know the kinds of Yeah, I don't have any official statistics, but I can tell you they're not very visible at my campus. Mm -hmm. Um, I do believe they're around, but you're right. In the past, I've seen them much more visible than they are now. And in the past, I've known other professors who are evangelicals or Christians. And at least on West Campus, in in the humanities, it's just me. Well, let me talk to you about what that means um, uh, for 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 it being you in a classroom. Um, You teach uh, you teach a wide variety of of subjects in the School of Humanities. Um, You teach uh, philosophy. uh, You teach you teach you know um, all kinds. You know, American religion. Yeah, yeah. American religion. You talk about the Declaration of Independence, natural law. Uh, philosophy of religion, ethics. Um, what, as a as a believing Christian, will a student hear from you that they would even know that you are a Christian? Yeah, I think I've shared before that 
at the end of, you know, Christian or, or students often ask me during class, what's your religion? Yeah, or what's your that's philosophy? what I was getting at. That's what I was going to yeah. yeah, I tell them I'm not going to answer that. That's, you that's, know, during you class. want them to have that question, don't you? Yeah. But then at the end of class, sometimes the, the whole group will say, okay, now we want to know. We're going to guess. Yeah. And so I let them guess. And, I, and it's so fun to see. I've, I've had them say, you must be an atheist because you're a philosopher. Right. And, of course, I get some who guess Christian. Um, but I, it was interesting. Last semester I had... I had a guy say, you must be Jewish, because you talk so much about Moses. And it's because we're going over natural law, and I was talking about the law of Moses and natural law. And he said, you talk so much about Moses, you must be uh, Jewish. So generally what I found is they don't know. And I think that's good. Yeah, no, no, of course. I I just want people to understand when you say you might be the only evangelical in, in, in the faculty at the School of Humanities, maybe even beyond that at ASU, you know, just how terrifying that is. It's so terrifying, people wouldn't know that unless they listened to this radio show. Yeah, but then the the, the alternative isn't the case. If if you're, right. you know, we heard from students right. who are in these Barrett Honors Professor classes, and, and they're just pushing their personal philosophies about sexuality and about colonialism, and, and they're, they're uh, letting you know, this is what I think. Yeah. And so if you object, you're not just objecting to class content, you're objecting to my personal opinion. Yes. Uh, you know, there is, uh, I think it was, probably others have said it too, I remember first hearing it from a theologian who passed away some years ago named Michael Novak. You might be familiar with some of oh, his yeah. work. Of course you would be. And he said, I think it was Michael Novak, first place I heard it, first person I heard it say that if there is one bigotry still acceptable in intellectual precincts in this country, it is against evangelical Christians. Well, it's so true, and I shared with you that one of my colleagues in a faculty meeting said of GCU professors, well, they're not scholars, they're evangelicals. Well, you saw that with that effort to rid them of the teaching assistant's jobs, right, at the Washington... Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But what stood out to me was he said that, and no one else batted an eye, didn't even register. They might even not remember he said it, because who cares? We can speak that way about evangelicals. Right. Right. Of course you can. Of course you can. So that, that's what, it was really that event that made me say, I need to reach out to the pastors in the Valley, because the people in charge of my school and my, my college don't care that he said that. They're not going to do anything. And so evangelicals, and, and really Christians, broadly speaking, just need to know that's what the faculty think of you, and nothing will be done when they say those kinds of things. And so you need to, to train your, your, uh, the potential students, let them know. Um, and just remember, there's other options now. ASU is not the only option. Yes. And so I, ASU does need to be sensitive yes. to to these things, because yes. they're not the only game in town. Yes. I, I want that out there, but I also want you to know that there are no other options, Dr. Anderson. You need to stay there. You need to be there. Well, thank you. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> of course. I've got great students. I love ASU students, and I think a state university is, is very important. I, I think ASU is a very important institution. The parents of Arizona need state universities as affordable options for their children, which is why this is so important that we can't just let it go. We, we need to show these philosophies for what they are. Dr. A, thank you, sir. Thank you. Bless you. Do you trust this economy? How about a secure investment that actually helps people? Why Refi has that? You can earn up to a 10.25% fixed rate of return from YWFI, and it's not correlated to the stock market or the Fed. You are controlled. You can turn your income on or off. You can compound it, whatever you like. Think of that flexibility. And there are absolutely no fees. You can have peace of mind. There is no attack on principle if you ever need your money back. 
and you'll get your monthly statement with no surprises. This is a secure collateralized portfolio that may be a better option for you than where you have your money now. Just go to investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or give them a call at 888-YREFI-24. YREFI is local. Their offices are right on Chauncey Lane in North Phoenix. You can visit with them. I've been there several times. And when you do, you'll, you'll get no sales pitch, and you won't be asked to sign anything. You'll meet these great people that I have gotten to know so well who don't just have a great investment opportunity for you, but they're great activists in our community, great civic activists in our community, participants. Folks all over the country are earning a high fixed rate of return with Y-Refi, and they don't care about what happens with the stock market or the Fed because with Y-Refi, you can do well by doing good. My friends at Y-Refi are trustworthy and honest. Just go to investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or give them a call at 888-YREFI-24. 888-YREFI-24. And make sure you tell them Seth sent you. All right, let's go to, uh, where am I going to? Dan in Chandler. Hi, Dan. Oops, my bad. My bad. Hi, start again. My bad. I, I pushed the wrong button. I apologize. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I was really disgusted today when I heard on the news that, and it was made like a big deal announcement, Egypt has agreed to let a handful of Palestinians who have passports from other countries out of Gaza uh, through through Egypt, and but they're not going to allow other Palestinian refugees to come to Egypt because they are worried that Israel might not let them back in. Um, and to me, it just sounds so obvious that they are completely complicit, complicit with Hamas. Uh, they want them to stay there and get killed uh, so that Israel will be blamed. Uh, and that is just completely agreeing and, and participating in the strategy uh, with, with Hamas, and Jordan is doing the same thing, which just recalled its ambassador uh, from Israel. Um, and so, it, 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 to me, it's just so disgusting, you know, the, the bar for what constitutes a so-called moderate Arab regime is so low, uh, I guess it must be just not being in a hot war with Israel. And, uh, and but when it comes to Egypt in particular and Jordan, these are countries that are supposedly allies of the United States and get a tremendous amount of foreign aid, and they can't even do the decent humanitarian thing. You would think they might also, well, you might, you would think they might also be allies to the Arab populations um, in other, in other places like in Gaza or the West Bank. Had you seen any marches against Egypt across this country or anywhere else in the last 25 days? I have not. Not a one. Not a one. Tells you something. Uh, it's part and parcel of this issue that I've never seen marches for the Palestinians that were slaughtered in Syria. I've never seen marches for the Palestinians that were slaughtered in Lebanon. I've never seen marches for the Palestinians that were slaughtered and uh, have had their rights deprived in Jordan. Uh, I've never seen any marches for any of them. I have never seen marches for Palestinians that have been slaughtered by Hamas uh, or by Fatah for working in or 
theoretically colluding with Israel. I've never seen marches for those either. That tells you something about these marches. They're not pro-Palestinian. They're anti-Jew marches. That should tell you something. Very true. And it reminds me of an old Israeli saying, which is that the Arabs are going to fight Israel to the last Palestinian. Yeah. Yes, they have been used um, and abused by all of these nations. I mean, Jordan is such an interesting thing. We're supposed to be in this highly sensitized moment of uh, colonial, anti-colonialism. And do people even understand how Jordan is ruled and who is the population of Jordan? Do they understand that at all, how Jordan came to be? Do they have any concept of this? They don't. For if they were worried about colonialism, if that was their issue, the marches would be against Jordan. But no, instead, uh, the Queen is important to have interviews on CNN. Well, as, as, as we often say, Seth, it's like the, the, the revolution before all, right? I understand. That's absolutely right. Thank you, Dan. Appreciate it. Talk to you soon. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602-508-0960. Mike is in Carefree. Hi, Mike. Hi, Seth. How are you? Thanks for taking my call. Uh, I just wanted to comment that one of the areas of the government that is particularly biased against Christians is the uh, immigration system. You know, when during the Bush administration, they took between 6 and 12 million Muslims because they thought we, you know, they were uh, mistreated in their own country. But at that time, you know, the, the, the Christians were being slaughtered, butchered, and they still are today. Um, for example, Lebanon was 98% Christian, and now it's 98% Muslim. And they didn't all just, you know, go away on their own. Uh, and when you have these conflicts, there never seems to be any concern for the well-being and safety of Christian residents of uh, predominantly Muslim countries. You're absolutely right about that. And by the way, um, despite the marches we've had here, have you seen some of the marches throughout Europe? I mean, Europe is—do you think they're figuring this out in Europe, that maybe, 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 maybe their immigration priorities were misprioritized? Maybe. Do you think they're going to come to regret what they have done to themselves in Europe? I don't know. 20 years ago, at least, Melanie Phillips wrote Londonistan. Um, it's far worse over the last 20 years. Well, I mean, Germany aligned with the Muftas, and and then they lost the war, and then they lost the wars, they lost some territory, and they have a hissy fit about it, but they didn't have any problem taking taking over somebody else's land when they won the war. Yeah, yeah. no, that's that's absolutely right. I don't know, um, you know, I don't know if if we're going to be able to come to a place in this country where we can get a serious piece of federal legislation reforming immigration law. I mean, for many many years, I don't know where you are on this, Mike, but for many many years. I thought maybe we don't need new law. Maybe we just need to enforce the current law. It seems to me the current law, the problems we have is the lack of enforcement of the current law. Uh, Lack of vigorous enforcement, uh, much less any enforcement. But but if – yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. One of the biggest problems we have in immigration is the lack of of actual money spent on immigration law – immigration courts and so forth, because 
you know, what the what the Democrats basically did was said, well, you know, the, the law says, you know, they have to go through this, that, and the other through the courts, and if they can't, then we'll just bypass it. And so instead of expanding the courts so that people can have their, uh, you know, their day in court and decide whether or not they really need asylum, they just said, well, courts are flush. Yeah. We're just going to turn them all loose. Yeah. And, and in fairness, on the right, uh, Eisenhower did the same thing. He, when he came in, he deported a million Mexicans. Well, you know, I, I, I guess the, the, the thing I've been thinking a lot about lately, Mike, is that, you know, despite our inability to simply enforce the law or our unwillingness to, really, it's not an inability, it's an unwillingness to enforce the law, if we are ever going to have uh, immigration reform in this country is a huge question to me, whether Congress can ever get enough votes to pass the kinds of reforms that go to the kinds of sentiments you're expressing about, you know, looking at the needs of this country and the kinds of immigration policies we want to have to meet those needs. And part of that does mean vetting. Part of that does mean vetting not just for skills, not just for obviously um, education, but also, you know, for ideology. And, you know, sometimes that's going to also impinge upon the issue and the question of religion. And it seems to me that given the danger and the natures of these things, if you don't want to vet for religion based on, you know, any number of First Amendment conceivable principles, then at least vet for ideology. You're going to find yourself crashing into religion. Well, going back to our founders, George Washington, in his famous letter to the church, was very quick to point out that the church exists because the government is protecting its right to exist. And, and that's a paraphrase, of course. But uh, and some religions that say that their religion tops the government, let's say for someone who believes Sharia law uh, is, uh, supersedes the Constitution, if you believe that, you should not be admitted to this country. Do you remember when we put a ban on certain countries that were dominated by that kind of thing uh, under Donald Trump? You know, it was interesting. Barack Obama's White House, per, or I should say Barack Obama's uh, Department of Homeland Security, put out a list of states that were countries of concern. And uh, that Donald Trump took as policy from there as to slow and lower and lower the immigration and not tolerate immigration for those countries for a while. And this country and people here went crazy over that. They just went nuts. They remember the Muslim ban and all that stuff, by the way, upheld by the Supreme Court, upheld by the United States Supreme Court. People went nuts about that. Um, I'm, I'm going to wonder if, you know, if they're going to go nuts the next time a Republican president proposes such a thing. And if the Democrats, you know, gave a you know what, about national security and the future of this country, they might just as well do it themselves. There's no percentage in, lo- in loss from them, I don't think, except from their, from their left-wing base, which will probably prevent them from doing it. But it is simply common sense. It's simply common sense. I think sense. we have to, have to get over the idea that we're not, we're, we're not going to make them mad because anything rational is going to make them angry. And just get over it. Yeah, well, uh, I agree with that totally. My concern is the numbers. 
My well, that's why we yeah. – but the problem is we've imported about 20 million people to believe that, and that's enough to swing any election. Yeah, well, <laughs> you saw – yeah, I mean, not only is it enough to swing – not only that, have you noticed the change of language that attends this stuff? I mean, you know, yeah. it – Anyway, it's 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 madness. And if you want if you want a um, if you want a prescription of what can happen here, look at what has happened to Europe. I mean, look yeah. at what's happened to Europe. I don't know if we'll take well, the message. I don't know if we'll get the message. I don't know if we'll get the lesson. But it should be a dire warning. Well, look at what happened in Lebanon, and look at what yep. happened actually in Iran. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Iran sixty years ago was a very open society. I'm just thinking about I'm just thinking about, you know, something a conversation I had with a friend of mine about France some years ago and whether they would allow this madness to take hold there and he said, "No, France is different. They have such pride, you know. They have such they have such such cultural arrogance." I think he was wrong. I think he was wrong about that. I believe I believe you. I think he was. Thank you, Mike. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. You bet. Be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Uh, John Shattuck is going to join us um, in a uh, in a few minutes. And if you uh, missed Owen Anderson's interview earlier, or if you miss anything uh, here, you can always get them at nine sixty thepatriotcom Any of our hours are available at nine sixty thepatriotcom I um I I I really do think that the kind of thing Owen was talking about with me and what this writer, op-ed writer at the Washington Post was talking about with regard to Mike Johnson and and his belief system and 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 his and his invocation or mentioning of God and the hysterics that people went through over it um just merely the notion that I believe that, you know, God has put us here for a purpose. If you can't say that as a political leader or as anyone in this country, you don't have to say it. But if you can't say it without being condemned or criticized as some kind of Neanderthal Christian nationalist, um, we're doomed to a point where, where, as Richard John Newhouse put it, we're just going to have a completely naked public square naked of any reference to religion whatsoever. And this, you look at the various problems in this country, listen to other talk shows and the goings-on and the reportings on the ground of what people are seeing and lost and disturbed and deranged even souls. You think about the decline in church attendance and affiliation. Think about that amazing statistic that more people have left the church in the last 30 years than joined it in the First and Second Great Awakenings and in the Billy Graham Crusades all combined. Has it made us a healthier, better place? Has it? I heard a caller uh, ringing into the Dennis Prager show this morning with, uh, I think it was Mark Eisler was guest hosting, and he was talking about, um, you know, he's talking about when they, when they, when, when they first took when they first took the Regent's Prayer out of the New York schools, and he put his finger on that kind of point in American history, 1962, I guess, or I think it was, 1962. And, you know, I don't know 
I don't know that you could do that again. I don't know that you could reinstitute it or, given the current jurisprudence, even try to. But do yourselves a favor if you want to see how you might. Look up a Supreme Court case from 1985 called Wallace v. Jaffrey, J-A-F-F-R-E-E. Wallace is the famous George Wallace, believe it or not. Wallace v. Jaffrey. And read William Rehnquist's dissent. Read William Rehnquist's dissent and the history of such things. Okay, we'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.